This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. All right, y'all, you're going to want to have a notebook handy. There's so many great nuggets and pearls of wisdom and little mantras that came from my conversation with the incredible Lisa Morton. She is the CEO and founder of a company called Roland Dransfield, and they are one of the most established communications agencies in Manchester, England. So you'll just love her accent on top of that. And she just exemplifies what it means to show up as a courageous leader, how being intentional and putting deliberate practices in your organization to truly live your values, not words on a wall, but in the fabric of everything you do to make difficult decisions, to guide people, how that works through transition. We talk about the importance individually and on the organizational level about being really, really clear, not just about your values and your purpose, but then translating that into really clear boundaries and non-negotiables. I love how she talks about being unapologetically who you are. And when we are our authentic selves, it actually helps us be both powerful and relatable. And she's got some really amazing ways that they talk about their company values. She talks about learning lessons that the next no in life or in business is okay because it gets you closer to the next yes. And wait till you hear about how she talks about what we all can do to swivel the chair. Just sit back, enjoy, have your notepad. So much great wisdom. She's such an incredible, courageous leader that we all can learn from. Lisa, coming to us all the way from across the pond. I am so excited to have this conversation today because we have so much synergy and we learned that we have this mutual love of Brene Brown. And I just want to dive right in. Tell me how you have come to value vulnerability as a leader. Well, I think that when I was growing up and through my career and probably going back to being a very young person, I was always very uncomfortable about showing vulnerability. And I think it goes back to needing, for some reason, validation off my father as I was growing up. So I felt like I had to be the fastest, top of the class. I had to just accomplish things quickly. And he probably didn't really expect that from me, but I felt he did. So I was very, very careful not to show vulnerability. And what happened then is when you get yourself into that role, I found that there's quite a lot of pressure being put onto me by other people because I was that one person who never had any chinks in my armor on the face of it. But in actual fact, I was completely depleted inside often, but I had to be the strong one in any kind of community I showed up in. <laughs> that was my role. And what was interesting is that when you do find those moments of where you do feel depleted or you feel vulnerable, if anyone spots that, there's a projection onto you where you're letting those people down, whether that's your family or your team at work, it's you're not allowed to be vulnerable. So I struggled with that for a hell of a long time. And then I went through probably only about five years ago, came out of a really quite hard relationship personally, and I was vulnerable. I couldn't actually hide it at that time. And then the same thing happened with work. And at that time, kind of Brené Brown seemed to come into my life. And I realized what had been holding me back was the fact that because I had to have all the answers or I thought I had to have all the answers, there was no way for people to come on my journey with me. 
there was no way they could potentially support because I wasn't giving people that space. And therefore I thought that nobody wanted to help me, but they just didn't know how to. So that was a real change for me. It changed my dynamic with my kids. And I was like, I don't have all the answers. And definitely because I'd done that work, which we'll, we'll probably talk about in the business around our values and our culture, when COVID hit, that, that lockdown hit, I think had I not gone through that work personally and with the business, I would have felt that I had to have all the answers in a time that nobody had any answers. I mean, there was no toolkit for what happened at that time. So I just showed up as a vulnerable leader every morning on our calls in lockdown and said, I don't have all the answers. Have any of you got some of those answers? <laughs> help me help you. Yes. Yeah, exactly that. And um, that was such a weight off my shoulders. I mean, it was a very troubling time and, and our business was hugely impacted financially. But I actually think we benefited culturally as a team, which we've built on since because of that utter vulnerability that we were all allowed to feel and share and confide each other's vulnerability at that time. And we all grew through it. You're talking and I'm like, oh my gosh, were we separated at birth, right? It's so funny how this is the work that I do each and every day. And I've become so appreciative of our common humanity that you're right. We all create these narratives in childhood, whether we had a happy childhood or really traumatic or somewhere in between. It's we make sense of our experiences by creating stories, by creating narratives, like that we're meaning making beings. And so if we, for example, like you were saying, like, oh, I got accolades or whatever when I performed, then it sounds like you created a narrative of, okay, well, the only way I'm going to get love from my dad is, and maybe that was true, but you know, the only way I'm going to get love, I got to perform, perform, perform. You keep doing all this stuff externally or externally, you look like you have it all together and inside you're depleted, you're exhausted. So I just so appreciate you going right there because first of all, it is so common. So speaking about vulnerability as a leader, we were first met, you talked about this incredible story that taught you something at the age of eight with the bucket and the sponge. Say more about that. My company is called Roland Dransfield. And a lot of people say, what is that? What does it mean? And that's the name of my godfather, who is now is passed long ago, but his legend lives on. And he met my dad. My dad was a mechanic and he met my dad servicing his car. So dad used to give him a really good service and Roland liked him. So Roland offered him a job in his business, which was an engineering company. So he was a big feature in our family. He had come from nothing, had worked very hard and had been successful. So one day he came to my house with a bucket and a sponge on a Sunday morning. And he'd always said to me, Lisa, you need to have your own business. And this is going back to the 70s. And so it's quite progressive, I think. Uh, it was very, very determined that I was going to be an entrepreneur. So he brought the bucket and the sponge and he said, you can borrow your mum's detergents, but go out and wash the cars. And if you can wash enough cars to pay me back for the bucket and the sponge, you're in profit. And if you don't wash enough cars to pay me back, you're not in profit and you have to go again and you can pay me back next Sunday. So I went out and knocked on the first door. And even in that moment, I knew that first door I knocked on was a sure bet. Like it was the lady next door who loved us and she was like our family. So <laughs> she's going to go, oh, cute. Yes. <laughs> she wasn't going to turn me down. So I did play safe on that one. But the other doors I knocked on, I wasn't sure if I was going to get that yes or the no. So I did go around and I got some no's and what it taught me is that the next no is you know means you're closer to the next yes so 
I paid Roland back for the bucket and the sponge and the family still can't remember how much that was. I wish we could. But I was in profit day one, which is obviously, as Roland told me, very unusual. And then I had a car washing round for eight years until I found shoes, uh, which I fell in love with shoes. And I went to work in a shoe shop on a Saturday. But I learned so much from, and I'm indebted to him for making me go out and work because I understood the value of money at eight. I understood the value of, of value and giving good value. I understood the importance of loyalty from your clients making sure you get feedback, these wheels clean enough, because I didn't like doing the wheels. I didn't like getting in those spokes. So I used to <laughs> try and probably shortcut those a little bit. So I learned so much and I earned, I earned good money. And I didn't really then ever have to rely on my parents for pocket money from being eight. So I owe him a lot. And the values that he taught me, I've tried to make sure they come alive in the business now, which is a PR um, and engagement consultancy. I love that. It makes me think, what do we teach our kids? My son's 11 and when teaching him chores or teaching him how to do laundry or whatever, I'm like, life skills, buddy, life skills, right? You need to know this. So, and he's like, oh, more life skills. But I'm like, it's so important. It's so true. Well, my daughter's just moved into her apartment and I went in the other day and she's very excited and it was a great time in her life, but she was following me around, making sure I turned off all the light bulbs. And I said, now you know what it feels like. <laughs> Don't leave the lights on, turn the water off. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, that's so fantastic. So you've got these great lessons learned at a young age about working hard, which are valuable and awesome. And what I'm wondering is coupled with, oh, I'm trying to prove something to my dad, right? This gets into the, I can work harder and I can do more and I can do it all myself. And like you said, in your lovely opening words, people can't help you or they can't come along with you on your journey if you're pretending to have it all together. So, I mean, COVID was obviously very hard for us. I know you found Brene Brown, but it's one thing to hear words. It's one thing to read something. It's another to be able to have the courage to lean into that discomfort, to let that armor down or to realize that vulnerability actually is an act of courage and to be able to make that leap from, I have to have it all together to, no, I don't have all the answers. What allowed you to make that transition or make that leap? When I was trying not to be vulnerable, I felt lonely. And I think probably a lot of leaders feel lonely because of that reason that they can't show the fact that they haven't got the answers. So when it was the last recession, the banking crisis, 2008, 9, 10, 11, it was, a long, it was a long one. I felt so lonely at that time. And I felt the pressure of having to figure everything out, again, without a toolbox, really. I think two things. One is the fact that we'd been so honest as a team with each other by working on our values two or three years ago and what was important to us and how we wanted to show up as people and as a business that we were in a that value setting had created a very safe space and putting those values together and me having to be very clear on what was important to me is my business ultimately it was Roland's name over the door and it always would be it wasn't authentic of me as a leader to allow different agendas to be at play in an organization that I was responsible for. So we'd done that hugely important piece of work. And that was about us all stripping back layers, but me allowing my layers, I suppose, to be seen in the team where they could see what where my non-negotiables were and what was important to me and what things hurt me, which was a first for me in 20 odd years of running a business. 
So when it came to this situation where we literally were thrust into a lockdown, and to give you some context, we've got a consultancy business. We're paid mostly on retainer or big projects. It's fee-based. We went from our best ever billing in the March to less than the billing I made in the first year of the business in in, in the April. That's how bad it was because so many of our clients were at that time, entertainment, music, hospitality, hotels, big events, external events. So it was, it was terrifying, but that vulnerability of me being able to come on that call and say, emotionally, this is where we're at. I shared every single number with everybody. I didn't wrap anything up. I didn't pretend it was better than it was because that was irresponsible. And and as Branagh would say, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And for me, that statement has made such a difference to my life because it's not about just giving good news to people. And if you're not feeling good and you pretend that you're feeling good, that is also misleading and it's not fair on the people that you're trying to bring along on the journey with you. So yeah, it was ugly. It was messy, but it was also joyful because of that honesty that we, we shared as a team and the way we supported each other and the support I got from the team, which in the past, there was no space for them to support me. I always say that people want realness and authenticity over perfection and polish any day. Like we know when someone's, you know, blowing smoke up our butt, so to, so to speak. I, I want you to share a little bit more about your value setting process, because I think that that is so critical of what helped you navigate through this. Because if we don't have something to anchor ourselves, and one of the things that, that we say in the Dare to Lead work is that we don't go step into that arena. We don't step into courageous or vulnerable experiences, moments, interactions naked, right? So I go take off your armor and then you're fully exposed. We always take two things with us. And the first is we learn to replace our armor with something called grounded confidence. And it's curiosity and some tools and stuff to really lean in, right? Rather than double down on our rightness, judgments, et cetera. But the second thing we take with us, which is an anchoring force, is grounding ourselves in our values. And so I so love that you were intentional about this work. We have a, a rehumanizing principle we call build a lighthouse, right? That when you have clarity of your purpose and you've operationalized your values where it becomes that filter. You have your non-negotiables that you said it's transformative. Like that's what helped ground us of how do we pivot as a business during the pandemic and beyond. And so what I have found is the individuals and organizations that had that clear lighthouse did not, not have bumps and bruises throughout the pandemic. But like you said, it turned out to be a blessing. They were able to take the setbacks and come back as stronger, better versions of themselves. So tell me a little bit about the process you took to get clear of your values, operationalize them, and you know, to use our language, have that lighthouse and those non-negotiables. Because it sounds like that was such a, a pivotal part for you as a business. And I don't think enough people do that. But I love the lighthouse. That's just, it's, it's a great analogy. It happened for us because, as I say, time in my life when I was uncertain, I was dealing with the kind of fallout of a, a personal relationship, which I recognize looking back now that that was because my boundaries and my non-negotiables weren't strong. That's however you get to then. It's never overnight. That's a nudge over a period of time. So the fact that I was feeling not aligned with my values personally had an impact on the business. So at that point, we'd gone through quick growth. We'd brought on people into the team who perhaps been lateral hires with lots of experience, but weren't necessarily nailed onto the way that, you know, I wanted to run a business and you want to empower people. So you do all of that stuff. And then it's okay if you empower people, but if you empower people who don't have the same values as you, 
it's like somebody said to me a long time ago, you know, the only thing worse than an idiot is a motivated idiot. And so if you've got, <laughs> <laughs> if you've got people who have got big agendas and big goals and big personal ambition, but they don't have the ambition and the kindness and the culture that you want for the organization, that honeymoon's going to be over fairly soon. And it was. So I remember I'd had a week off. I landed. We'd had to move office in that period because the, the landlord had knocked the, the date back. And when I turned my phone on, my phone blew up and there was so much, so much aggro. There was absolutely so much stuff on that phone. I thought, this is ridiculous. I can't have a week off without knowing that there's, there's not going to be this bitching, this fighting in the team. It's crazy. So I, the first day in our new office, the next morning I sat everybody down around the team, every single level of experience, seniority. And I said, things are going to change. We are literally going to go back to values that are right for me. And you can work on those with me, but if they are not the type of values that you want to, to hang your colors to, then it's okay, you can leave. And that if anybody doesn't want to do that piece of work, which is going to take priority, you can resign and I'll, I'll accept your resignation ASAP because you've got to be on the bus or you're off the bus. This is happening. And that was, some people said afterwards, it was a really, really tough conversation. It was the best conversation for our business because we did lose people, but we also, and one of our values is leaders create leaders. We found leaders at lots of areas in the business that would just hadn't had that safety and that security to be leaders because the values weren't right and they didn't feel comfortable or empowered by them. So we did a period of probably three months where we looked at so many different codes, values, so sports teams, charities, big organizations, uh, individuals, and then we distilled from that what was important to us. But I knew that there wasn't going to be one value in that list. And we have 15 and it's a lot, but we all know them and they are part of our operations. So essentially we got to a point where not only were they in beautiful wallpaper on the wall, they are on screensavers, but they were part of our performance reviews with the team. They were part of our onboarding process with new clients. So we shared our values. They had to share theirs, theirs with us. So it was a two-way process. Um, we created content around it. One of our values is plant trees you'll never see, which is about leaving a legacy out of respect for those who follow. So Everybody in the team has volunteer days, time off if they want to train to do a, a marathon or a run for charity or anything they want to do. We build that into performance. So you could pick our organization to pieces and you will find our values at every step of, of the way in our behaviors. It's not just about what we say. And one of the values is admit it, fix it, move on. And that isn't a cop out. That's not a, an excuse if we really screw something up. That is a life lesson that we believe in for everybody is that if you do make a mistake, it's okay. Let's admit it. Let's figure out how we make that better. And then quite often the result from the experience of having made the mistake creates a better outcome than when you went into it. So it's a massively positive learning experience, which we use internally with our team and then also with our clients. So no relationship is going to be without bumps in the road. So let's use those to grow. It just makes my heart so happy. And I don't, can't remember who said this, who I'm borrowing the quote from, but I always say when companies and organizations get intentional about their culture, 
not everybody is going to survive the transition and that's okay. I think Cy Wakeman has a quote that you know, people can opt in or opt out, but they can't stay in hate. And I think so often, especially in this time of the great resignation, organizations and leaders, they tiptoe around that and they make excuses for it and they enable or put up with the staying and hating or the people that aren't quite fully aligned because, well, they're good technically at X, Y, Z. And it has disastrous consequences that from interpersonal interactions, low psychological safety, the list goes on and on. So building on that, then how has getting really clear about your values and your non-negotiables, as well as making the shift to lean into vulnerability, how has that changed you both personally and professionally? You've said it's been a game changer, but give some examples of how this has been transformative for you. So one of our values is basically no assholes. I'm just actually reading a book about how, I don't know what it's called, but it's about basically being surrounded by psychopaths because there are so many around. And if you're an empath, obviously you are tending to attract those people. And that could be personally or professionally. It's dead easy to go and be wowed by a new potential client who you think we're going to do some amazing stuff together and they're charismatic and, and it's all that exciting chemistry at the start. But you know, one thing I have learned through setting values and boundaries is that if it seems too good to be true, it definitely is. And that goes for everything. So for me, I thought, well, if I don't know my own values or have not really put those down on paper, worked on them, if I don't know my values, how do I know when they're being undermined? So that was a first for me. I'd always think, I think I've grown up where I had my dad that had to hugely achieve for, and then my mum, her way of life was go to the back of the queue when everybody else has been served before you and they're okay, then you can come forward because that's the polite way to live. So make sure everyone's okay. So this horrendous kind of really narrative of two very different narratives as a grown up as a young person. And I realized that I didn't have boundaries. My boundaries were really for anybody to decide what they were, you know, within reason. And I thought it was a negative thing to have a boundary, to say no to people or no, because I don't want to, but to say no, because that doesn't fit in with my values or no, because that's not, that doesn't align with our company values. That is liberating. So for me, that's, and for the team, it's so safe. It's such a safe space to be in. And recently we had a client, we'd lost a huge amount of income in COVID. And in that period of time, we had to work very, very hard in a new remote situation, which is not us. We all pile in together and we're very creative together. And we worked so hard for a piece of business, which was personally very, very important to me for lots of reasons. And it was a four-way pitch, which is heavy. We won the work. We couldn't believe it because financially it was a game changer for us. Um, very excited to get involved in, in that piece of work. And probably within three months in, that sinking feeling, you just think this is just not working for us. The relationship was toxic, not with the clients, the self, but the team around them our team was being undermined, their professionalism was being questioned and it was painful and it hurt. We had two resets and I said to the team on two occasions, if you, if you want us to walk away, we'll walk away. And they said, no, champions do extra. It's another one of our values. But then it got to the point where I went like, no, this is not champions do extra. This is no dickheads. We, we can't work for this client anymore. And it was very upsetting. It was a massive financial loss to the company, but ultimately that decision had to be made. And I went to the client who was a friend of mine and I said, look, for this reason, for this value, we can't work with your team and I'm not going to 
put my team at risk of them being gaslighted or feeling undermined or lacking in belief in themselves because the people who you have working on this project are making them feel like that. And he understood it. He got it. And he said, I understand and I, I can't do what you need me to do fast enough in order to make that a difference and for you to carry on. And so I said, I understand and we'll walk away. And we did. We walked away from a lot of money. But the next day, the team <laughs> was just like everyone felt empowered. You know, we were liberated by our values from going down a route which was going to be psychologically damaging, even if it improved the bottom line. That's so fantastic. And we've turned down work as well. And I know I get questions of, well, do you work with certain industries or whatever? I'm like, it's about philosophical fit and value fit. It's not about industry. And that that's first and foremost. And it's sad because I, I know so many consultants that work in various consulting firms that feel like they don't have control over their their clients. And unfortunately, the leadership is really chasing the dollar and they ignore like the team being beat up. And I just think that doesn't do anybody good. And I love that you have a value of no dickhead. Um, it makes me think of Robert Sutton's book, The No Asshole Rule. And he talks about how organizations need to actually calculate their total cost of asshole because it's more than you, you think. So I, I'm all for it. I love it. Oh my it. gosh. I need to read that. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a great, it's been out for a long time, but it's a great book. And I know like during even COVID, when you, we could go out to the grocery store, when a lot of things were locked down, I would just try to be extra like appreciative and say, thank you for being here and thank you for what you do. And you know, you get this, thank you so much, because you know, these people are being beat up. And I'll say like to the teachers, I'll say to the people working in hospitality, whatever, like just try to be appreciative. So I love it about like hard stop boundaries. If you're being that way, nope, like, right. And there's giving a business, a team and individual chances, right? Clear is kind, give them the feedback. What's okay, boundaries, what's okay, what's not okay, give feedback and opportunities to improve. But if they're going to continue to violate that boundary or not, then there's difficult decisions you have to make. But at the end, it makes you stronger and, and better and more effective. And I think also Brandy's quote about along the lines of you're not in the same um, arena as me, then get your ass kicked, then I'm not interested in your feedback. And again, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? It's very easy for people who don't have the kind of lived experience. They aren't walking in your shoes to be very critical. And so again, that's something that as an organization, we're very open to feedback, but it has to be constructive feedback. And, and interestingly, on this point, we did test our values was just recently, we were asked to handle pro bono, some media support around a big charita charitable event, which was going to raise a lot of money for a number of charities. And it was something that was important to Manchester and it was being done by a private individual. And we said, yes, of course, it was absolutely the type of, uh, of thing that we would do. And it was a, a huge amount of work, but it was, it was the whole team wanted to get involved. And as we got involved, you know, you do know this, but again, one thing you learn from experience is that you don't learn from experience. Not all good things are done by good people. So we realized quite soon that this was not being done with the type of integrity we'd expect. So I said to the team, look, we have no dickheads. What do you want to do? Because I don't expect you to carry on. And this is, we're doing this work for free. And I was so moved because they said, well, we do have no dickheads, but we also have plant trees you'll never see. And this project is going to plant a lot of trees. So we're prepared to put up with the dickhead in order to create the legacy. So we're okay with that, but thanks for offering for us to walk away. And I was just like, that was the moment. It gave me goosebumps. 
Oh my God, that gives me goosebumps too. But I love that you're calling it and saying, okay, and they're, but they're using one of your other values to make that decision, right? It's like, yes, but it's this value and this value in this moment has a greater reward, greater yield, greater impact than this other value. So it's okay. And if you're going into that with intention and knowing that, again, they're leaning on a value, not ignoring a value. So I, I love that. Oh my gosh. Oh God. Okay. So um, there's so many good nuggets of just how you've navigated your business and everything that we could go on. But I, I, I want to shift the narrative back to you a little bit as a person. So as you know, one of my goals of this podcast is besides giving people nuggets of how you can show up differently in the world and businesses and really recognizing that there are some amazing organizations like yours that are doing this work. It's not just theory. I also know as part of the common human experience that we, as much as you've done this work and you have your values and you lean into vulnerability, I know that even those of us that do this work and are the you know successful in our lives, however you define that, we can still tell ourselves stories that keep us safe and small, right? That have us wanting to not step into that arena, that have us wanting to not be vulnerable. So I would love if you're willing to share in the spirit of vulnerability, Lisa, what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes? And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader? I would say that, I mean, and I fall off the wagon with this at times, but I think not being good enough and that pressure that we've talked about, which a lot of us keep on ourselves from being a very young age, did always think as I was growing up, and particularly because of the support that Roland gave to me and my family at the time, that being a woman was never going to be an obstacle to what I could achieve. Although you do find some, you have to put some of those boundaries in place going forward. But I think that that trait in you is going to come up at times in your life. And I felt very much that when I had started my business, I had my, my son quite soon after that. Then I had two, I had my daughter soon after that. So I had two children. I went through a divorce while my daughter was less than one. The year after that, my dad walked out on my mum. And, and although that carnage was happening around me, I was called upon to be the strong person. So strong in to look after the kids, strong with my mum, to look after her, strong in the business. And it seemed like everybody at that time was telling me that I was failing on all fronts because I was trying to look after so many people, so many things. And I got to the point where I was literally on my knees. Everybody seemed to think I wasn't good enough. And I, and I finally went for counselling. And I walked into the therapist and I actually gave him a business card and, and handed it over. So she had my phone number. And she looked at it and on the business card, it said, good enough never is. And she said, you can get rid of that today. <laughs> <laughs> and that was our company motto at the time. That was our value, which obviously we don't, that's not anything near our values now. And so that was my self-limiting belief that I cared too much about everybody's subjective opinion, which with hindsight, again, it's Bunny Brown's motto, which uh, quote, which keeps me going now that unless you're in here having your ass kicked with me and you've got two kids under two and you're running a business and you're sorting out your mum who, when your dad's left, well, no, I'm, I'm not interested. So for me, I really try and work on, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm doing my best. My intention is right. Um, and that's good enough for me. And if it's not good enough for you, then that's your shit, not my shit, basically. And that's what I really, I say that every day, <laughs> your shit, not my shit to myself. And that's, again, it's a boundary and it's a, it's a boundary that, that works for me. I love that. Well, one of the things that 
we talk about in the dare to lead work is we talk square squad. So it's like, take it, take out a piece of paper and draw a square. That's like one inch by one inch and put the names of the people's whose opinions actually matter in that square. And there's a reason that square is only one inch by one inch. And, and we spend so much time hustling for our worth or the approval or the validation of people who are in those cheap seats, right. That aren't in the arena floor. And then we like railroad over the people who matter most to us because we want this person to think X, Y, Z of us. And we're forgetting about the people who, who matter the most and being able to say, you know, to the people who matter, I am enough just as I am perfectly imperfect. And I can still work to be a better version of myself. And I think when we can get grounded in that and go, yeah, you're not in the arena also getting your ass kicked. You don't have my best interests at heart. Therefore, like, yeah, I'm not interested in your feedback or criticism. If you're not putting yourself out there, if you're not doing this work with me, then peace out, right? Yeah. So love it. <laughs> hard, hard stop, hard boundary, fabulous. Okay. So are you ready for our quick questions segment? Yeah. All right. So fill in the blank. Living authentically is... For me, it's a place where you are respectful of your own needs and your own self-care and your purpose or your values so that you can be, as you just said, un unapologetic about who you are. And if you're unapologetic about who you are, you can be powerful and relatable, both those things, which is it helps you to create impact and in the work you, you're doing. And I don't think that's just the work that you're doing in terms of what's on your desk, but it's how you're putting your heart out into the universe and the stuff you want to create while you're here. I love that. Unapologetic about who you are. Love it. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? So this goes back to I'm, the, I'm not good enough. And I do think now that if you are feeling that fear, remember that the opportunity has not just been brought to you on a whim, but that opportunity is there because of the work that you've done and the stuff that you put out into the universe. And it's been brought to you by the, the good stuff that you've done. So it's your responsibility to take that opportunity up because there's a reason for it. And even though it's scary in the moment, you've got to go for it because it's usually always, as soon as you've done it and you've felt the fear and done it anyway, that you realize immediately why that opportunity was there for you because it moves the needle in some way. And that feeling of elation and that feeling of being right where you deserve to be is so strong that it's always worth just putting your big girl knickers on and, and doing it because it's meant for you. I love it. Isn't there a saying that courage is not acting in the absence of fear, but in spite of, or, you know, leaning into that. So I love that. What is something that people would be surprised to know about you? That I studied flamenco dancing for 15 years. I love it. <laughs> yeah, on and off. I've not done it for a while, but it comes out at barbecues. It's just impossible. <laughs> You bust it out. When the time comes, we get to meet in person. We're going to have a little flamenco a bit, party. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> what is your favorite go-to movie? So hardest because I've got so many films that I absolutely love for different reasons. Two in particular. One is Goodwill Hunting because I think that's such an amazing film and it's about searching for the meaning um, in life and, and it addresses all the topics that we think we can't and because it makes our lives smaller. So that whole, I love it. I love the film. And then I love all the president's men, which was obviously seventies film. My parents were massively into it and Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. And I just love that whole newsroom in the days when media weren't owned by big organizations and they were there about finding the truth and exposing um, corruption. I just think it's an incredible film.
So sorry, two there. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. I love them. What's your go-to song? I'm a big Killers fan. And so there's so many, and I actually came to Vegas to see the Killers. So I think I love glamorous indie rock and roll because it just makes me feel so uplifted. And then I love Billie Holiday. I grew up with a lot of jazz music. So Porgy and Bess from I Love, I love You, Porgy. That's just when you really want to tap into how emotions, that's my go-to. I'll put that on and it just make, it moves me massively. Well, what a spectrum. You go from I the know. killer to Billie Holiday. I love it. <laughs> that's okay. It's an eclectic playlist. It's fantastic. <laughs> what is something you can't live without? Well, obviously my kids who are incredible, they lift me every day, but also my Lulu lemon leggings. <laughs> <laughs> Got some Lulu. <laughs> they are super comfortable. Amazing. <laughs> what is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? I love my, my daughter's singer and I love hearing her sing. And my son, I love my, hearing my son's laugh because he's just one of those laughs that just sets you off. And then what I love though is that moment every day and I, I really get up every day with this intention is when you connect two people that might not have met before, knowing that that connection is going to make something amazingly beautiful happen or some magic happen. That's the thing that makes me really, really happy. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. I love it. I love connecting awesome people. That's cool. And what are you grateful for right now? Right now, post pandemic, I'm really grateful of all the work and all the relationships that we created as an organization that made sure that we were able to use those to help so many different communities who were suffering and businesses that were suffering and young people. So I'm, I'm really grateful for those purposeful relationships that we've made, but I'm also really grateful for whatever path life has taken, I suppose, for us even to get to this point today. So for you to invite me on your podcast that often we connect with people that we would never have connected with, you know, across the water and that you, you find your tribe. So I'm really grateful that I found you. Then I think you're the type of person that I would definitely want in my tribe. Yes. Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you could just tell, right? Kindred spirits. Oh, love it. <laughs> it gives me energy and warms my soul. So I could talk to you forever, Lisa, and I look forward to more conversations, but I want to wrap up with a closing question. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? So recently um, I read John Amici's book, The Promises of Giants, and it's incredible. So I definitely recommend that book. And in it, and I have interviewed him for my podcast, and in it he said, he writes about Swivel the Chair. And when I I asked him about Swivel the Chair. He said, I think I overwrote it. I wrote too much about that concept. And I said, you definitely didn't. And Swivel the Chair means that when somebody comes to talk to you and wants to offer an opinion or chat to you in the, the working environment or anywhere else, don't carry on tapping away on the laptop. Give them the, your full attention. Swivel your chair to them and your attention has got so much impact, either positively or negatively. And you've got the ability to make or break somebody's confidence in that moment. So do that person a favor. And if they want your attention, it's for a reason. So swivel your chair. I love that. It, it, it's actually when my son comes into my office, my chair does swivel and there's a chair behind me. And literally I go, hold on a second. Let me finish what I'm typing. And I do. I turn around. 
And I'm like, let me get you. So I'm like, oh, I swivel the chair. Yay. (laughs) Well, Lisa, just thank you for not just such a lovely conversation, but I think there's so much wisdom and nuggets in your journey. And thank you for sharing it. And thank you for who you're being and the model you're being for how businesses can be run, how leaders can be the environment you can create for people to have meaningful work and be effective. And just thank you. I am so appreciative. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com, and of course, hit that follow button.